0: One of the things over over 20 years of pastoring that I have often heard is the question, what does it look like to have a relationship with God? And that's a really interesting question because the the context of that usually is this is a God we can't see and and he doesn't actually sit at the table with us or walk with us, although I would argue he is there and we need to be practicing the presence of God there. But what does it look like to actually have a relationship with God? So many times as as we go through our Christian life, we can get um, just so troubled by that question, or maybe not troubled, but we can be working through that question and we can devote ourselves to service and busyness and doing all kinds of things for God. And somehow we think that equals relationship with God. But I would propose in, in the text this morning, it, Jesus is going to... to um, walk us through some more steps of what it means to be in relationship with God. And I propose it's not that different from other relationships. Not that different from human relationships. In my, in my years of, of marriage counseling, one of the things that keeps coming back up to build healthy marriages is time together, quality time, and communication, right? I have yet to have a couple that says, actually, we really hate quality time together. Or we really don't want to communicate. That's how you build a strong marriage. No, no, we, we know these things intuitively. Quality time and communication is vital for our earthly relationships. But keep in mind, we're all made in the image of God. We're image bearers. And and as such, we reflect the same relational capacity that, that God does. Not in the same degree, but he has in, instilled in us this relational desire and this relational capacity. And so when we think of what does it mean to be in relationship with God, we need to go back to some of our are ways that we're in relationship in human sense. And, and this morning, we're going to look at those two things, actually. Quality time and communication. We'll call them devotion, or spending time listening to God and prayer. Now, these aren't the only two keys, but they're the two things that Jesus brings up in our text today. And it helps us to think through and helps us to understand what does God want from us for relationship? See, if, if we go through life, and it's just about being busy at church and being busy and reading, you know, 20 chapters a day and somehow having, uh, you know, wh- whatever trappings we put on Christianity. If that's the extent of our Christianity, we are missing out on the joy and the beauty of relationship that God wants for us. Now, I know some, as soon as I start talking relationship, you're checking out already. Because you're like, oh, no, no, that's sort of touchy feely. And no, here's the deal God's Word says he wants a relationship with us. And so that's not touchy-feely. That's what God says he wants. And so that's worth exploring and worth talking about. What does that look like? But we have all kinds of things that get in the way of that. In fact, I have found that life and the busyness of life often attacks those things that are at the heart of relationship with God first. Because somehow I keep all the busyness in my schedule, but those things that really help relationship with God Get attacked first and, and and get pushed aside first. I, I think about this. many of you have young children, and many of our families with young children know that that is a very challenging time in your marriage, right? Because you have these little human beings that can 't do anything that are just sucking you dry. It feels like sometimes now there 's a lot of joy and i 'm not saying they 're bad. I have three <laughs> love you, mark. <laughs> But when they're crying and you have a diaper to change and they have to eat and then the next one's into something and the books are all over the floor and the bookshelf is falling, life can feel overwhelming, right? And I think that's okay to admit and acknowledge, yeah, it's hard to raise young children. It's challenging. And one of the things there that often struggles first is our marriages, right? Usually because we don't have the quality time together. Because the little munchkins just take a lot of time. Bless their hearts. And, and that's the stage. And we often don't have a lot of time communicating with each other because, again, most of the time, all of our communication is about the kids and how we survived another day. And, and those, are, those are good discussions. That's part of that stage of life. But if we aren't careful in our marriages, our marriage can go stale during that time. And so there's things we do in our marriage to make sure that that relationship happens. Well, the same is true spiritually. When we get into the busyness of life, we can lose sight of, okay, how much time am I actually devoting to prayer? And, and am I doing more than just a quick one before meals? And, and maybe as I walk in the door, Lord, give me patience. Um, you know, whatever it is, am I spending more devoted time with God? Am I spending some quality time just to be with God? And this morning, we're going to see that Jesus puts a priority on those things. Because he knows if we're to be his disciples, those have to be part of our normal rhythms of life. Otherwise, our spiritual relationship will dry up and we'll struggle with our walk with God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, 38. Luke chapter 10, 38. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one under a seat right around you. We'd love for you to take that. And if you don't have one at home, take that with you as our gift to you. We want you to see God's word and read God's word. But Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38. And we're going to take a couple stories that are often preached alone, and we're going to just do them all in one day. We're we're going to keep moving through Luke. But I think it's helpful sometimes to take a couple stories that Luke has intentionally put next to each other and to see how they relate and how they inform each other. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. What we're going to look at today is some lessons on discipleship, some lessons on relationship. See, disciples deepen their relationship with God through devoted time and prayer. We can't get around it. These are essential. These are not something that we can find a substitute for. We have to have time with God and prayer with God to be walking with God. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray that as we we cover your word today, that you would challenge us, that you would remind us of the importance of time and prayer, that you would remind us of the importance of relationship and what you desire, Lord, what you've built us for, that we can have a fulfilling life. Lord, May your Holy Spirit reveal your word to us today. In your name, amen. As we get into the first story at the end of Luke chapter 10, we'll look at verses 38 through 42. And this is a familiar story that some of you, especially you type A people, have already looked ahead. And you already know the story, and you already hate me for preaching it. But this is Mary and Martha, and, and the story when Jesus comes to visit. And Martha is the, the matron of the house, and she's taking care of the hospitality duties, and she's running around this and that and that, and, and Mary's at the feet of Jesus. Remember this interaction? I, I know some of you have talked to me like, this, this story really bugs us. But let's explore it. Let's see what Jesus is saying. Point number one in your notes as, as we're looking to deepen our relationship with God is we need to prioritize carving out time to be with and listen to Christ prioritize carving out time to be with and listen to Christ. Let's read the story. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister, probably a younger sister, called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me but the lord answered her Martha Martha you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her and we just get we get this little snippet of a story it's only found here in Luke and it probably isn't even in chronological order Luke has placed it here thematically to go with the themes around it of discipleship of relationship possibly here to to give us a balance to the story of the Good Samaritan last week. Last week we had the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and he comes and he helps someone that's different, someone that, that, he would, that would be hated, and he finds a way to reach into their life and help them. And so the focus is on what shall we do? How do we be a good neighbor? And now the balance here is, but, but how should we be? How should we spend time with God? It's not all about doing. It's about being with God and spending time with God. And so this story serves to help us understand what it means to love God, whereas the last story was what it means to love others. And so we we enter the scene, and and Jesus comes to Bethany where they live just a little bit outside of Jerusalem. And Martha, it's, it's her house, and she's the one taking care of things. And so there was this cultural expectation that when a visitor came, you provided them hospitality. And it wasn't just, oh, that would be nice. This was an, an expectation, and we're going to see it in the next story too, that you would be shamed if you didn't do. This was so important that you must give hospitality. And so Martha here is doing something good. Let's start with that. Because some have said, well, Martha shouldn't have been doing it. No, no, she was doing something good. That's not the issue that Jesus points out for her. But she's hustling and bustling, and she misses some relational things. She misses that time with God. And so she's welcome in the house. Mary is sitting at his feet and listening to his teaching. Now this was revolutionary too. And we're thinking, well, okay, what's so revolutionary about that? I'd love people sitting at my... No. This is the, the, um, the image of a disciple. A disciple sat at the rabbi's feet and listened to them and at the time, women were not allowed to be disciples. And so this was revolutionary where Jesus, as we've seen throughout Luke, He is bringing women into the circle of discipleship and their importance and their ability to learn and, and, and to study under Jesus. Because men and women are equal at the foot of the cross. And so Mary's at the, the Lord's feet and she's listening to Him. And verse 40 gives us the first clue. Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. And we get a couple of pictures out of there. The much serving means she's doing above and beyond. This is Jesus. I mean, this needs to be a 20 course meal. Okay, maybe four or five. I don't know. But this needs to be great service. And so she's going above and beyond. All of her time is spent with that. But the word distracted is interesting because it means to be pulled or dragged away from. And the image here is someone that wants to be with Jesus, someone that wants to be spending time with him, but the pressures of everything else that she thinks she has to do is pulling and dragging her away from that relationship. And that just screams busyness, where we get so busy with all the things in life that we forget the most important thing. Is it wrong to make a meal? Is it wrong to show hospitality? No. No. But when that becomes more important than your guest, when that becomes more important than spending time with Jesus, our priorities are out of whack. it's, It's a decision between the good and the best, not between the bad and the good, as so often this has been characterized. This is a decision between the good and the best. And Jesus is saying, take the best first and the good will follow. And so she's distracted with much serving. And so the first problem here is wrong priorities. Wrong priorities. She let the good overwhelm the best and control her. And she finally gets to a point in this verse, and verse 40 is the key verse to this section, she gets to a point where she's had enough. She can't take it anymore. She's watching her sister just sit there and do nothing. How dare she? Now, we've all had this where you're busy doing something and you see someone off in the back, you know, enjoying some time and a little coffee watching you work. Yeah, yeah, just good feelings. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 she's frustrated. And she's had enough, and so she goes to Jesus, and this is the second issue Jesus has. She rebukes Jesus, and she rebukes Mary. Catch this. Lord, don't you care? And right there, the wording is, is that of a rebuke. Jesus, don't you see what's going on? Why are you letting this happen? You know better. You know, and, and they know Jesus. This is the, the; these are the sisters of Lazarus who Jesus rose from, raised from the dead. Don't you care, Jesus? She goes on to say that my sister has left me to serve alone. Woe is me! You're letting her do it. She's doing it. I'm serving alone, and then she gives a solution. She's very helpful. Tell you what you do, Jesus. Tell her to help me. She'll listen to you. Obviously, she's at your feet watching me work. Tell her to help me. And Mary, Martha, rather, the second issue is her attitude towards what she's doing. See, I don't think the serving was the problem necessarily. That was her way of worshiping, that was her way of, of serving Christ. The issue is she thought everybody had to conform to her way. She thought her way was the only way and it was the right way. And we do this all the time. Our ministry is the only one that counts. So everyone should come to our ministry or or the way I'm built, the, what I like or the songs I like or whatever it is, that's what everyone should enjoy. And and we are so caught up in self-centeredness that we don't let other people be built other ways and have other things they enjoy and serve God in other ways. And so Martha's she has a plan for Mary. And she wants Jesus to help her implement it. She was criticizing what others had chosen to do in their devotion to God. And oh, we're we're a church family of two, three hundred people. We need to be appreciating how each other is built and how different people show devotion to God. But Martha was so constrained by her own experiences and her own feelings and approach to life that that became her definition for everyone. And she was willing to act on it. Now, now you probably never... Martha was one of these type of people, and we see it later with Lazarus and John 11. Martha was one of these people that you never really questioned where they were coming from. They were sure to let you know. And and I actually appreciate that. There's a certain honesty to that and and to to be able to deal with it. And, And Jesus here is now able to deal with it and help her. And in 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. And He uses her name twice as an endearing an an endearing gentle response Now, now some of us might have been pretty angry at this point but Jesus recognizes Martha's still trying to do the right thing she's just lost track of priorities and she's she's lost track of an attitude issue if she had been doing what she was doing as an attitude of worship rather than caught up in all the details it probably would have been fine so he says Martha Martha in the sensitive and caring response you are anxious and troubled about many things. And he deals with the first issue, the distractions. You have so many things you're worried about, so many things that are going through your head. And we feel this sometimes. And, and uh, a lot of scholars think that part of what he's saying with many anxious about many things is you, you could have scaled down dinner a little bit. You could have scaled down the hospitality. I would have been fine to spend time with you. This is what you wanted. This is what you were pulled away from. He says, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. There's one priority here. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And Jesus is gently reminding Martha, the priority is relationship. The priority is time with me. If you are doing so much that you have no time with me, that you're not able to, to talk and listen for us, we're not at Jesus' feet, but we're in His Word, we're in prayer, we're spending time listening to God. If we don't have any time for that, our priorities are messed up. Our priorities are out of whack. And we could be doing good things, and Satan is using those good things to keep us from the best thing, from experiencing what relationship with God is like. See, Jesus isn't saying service and ministry are bad. He's not. He's, he's confronting her focus on it over relationship, that it's a distraction, that it's, it's troubling her, that it's giving her anxiety. It has become more important than relationship. And Jesus is saying, let's, let's switch those back. Let's have relationship first. And there's going to be plenty of time to serve. And, and, and you're going to be able to make a great meal, but let's do relationship first. And then the attitudes fall into place for everything else. It's actually a beautiful picture with Mary sitting at Jesus' feet in dependence, in learning, in, in an attitude of submission, an attitude of relationship. And, and the good portion here in verse 42, that's the, it, it's the greatest possession we can have, a close relationship with God. And he's saying, Mary has chosen relationship it won't be taken from her. You know, Out of this, we, we can learn a couple of things here. The, uh, the main lesson is we need to make sure we're, we're prioritizing carving out time with God. We're, we need to make sure that we're spending some time with just, just us and Him. Listening reflecting on His Word, meditating on His Word, whatever that looks like for you, singing worship songs. Maybe it's on the way to work playing worship songs rather than talk radio or something, so that way you're spending time worshiping God and communing with Him. But how are we going to carve out that time? There's a book written uh, 20 years ago called Too Busy Not to Pray. Too Busy Not to Pray. And I love that title because the busier we get, the more time we need to spend with God. Otherwise, we get really grumpy. And we get really frustrated and we get really just, just overwhelmed by all the things. Anxious and troubled like Martha. And so Jesus is giving her corrective saying, carve out some time. And, and, and I know that the first thought is, do you know my schedule? If I had more time, I'd be doing it. Anyone feeling that right now? No, no, no. <laughs> Here's the thing. With priorities you first set the priority. And you put that in your schedule first. And if you need to make an appointment in your schedule book to do it, then do that. But make some time with God a priority and then just watch what God does with that faithfulness with the rest of the things you have to do. And I would bet that that busyness is going to reduce. At least your feeling of busyness and the anxiety that goes with it. But we need to listen to Jesus here. And we need to say what thing is necessary. And that's relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to remember to spend some time at Jesus' feet. Serving all the time. Being busy all the time. Raising young kids. All all those things are good things, but they they can dry us out spiritually. I remember going through seminary, and in seminary, your time is just, you're you're overwhelmed. So many studies. And and something they said at the beginning of seminary, and I watched it happen, is seminary can be the driest time of your life spiritually if you're not careful. And you're studying God's Word every day. You're spending six, eight hours every day studying Greek and Hebrew and, and God's Word. And it can be the driest time spiritually if you don't step away from your studies and just be with God. I've watched pastors that pastoring becomes a dry time because they're so busy. There is always something to do at church. There is, I, we could spend 80, 100 hours here a week and still not get it all done. And don't worry, Susan, I'm not going to. <laughs> and we can get so caught up in the trappings of good things, of spiritual things, but if it doesn't have that ingredient of time with God in relationship, they are, they are things that dry us out spiritually. How's your devotional life? How's time sitting at Jesus' feet? If you're not doing it, you're drying out. And I challenge you to put that in your schedule. Even if something else has to drop, put that in your schedule. What I've found is there's a whole lot of dead times in my day that I can put that in. That that if I'm intentional, make a lot of sense. Drive time. So much can be done during drive time with what you listen to and listening to God's word or listening to worship songs. There's other times that it's just downtime that you could carve away five, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. But oh, village, I heard you spend some time at Jesus' feet. Jesus says that's important. I believe him. I believe him. So let's put that into practice. He goes on then. In, in chapter 11. And again, we're still talking about devotion and reverencing God and worshiping God. And verse 11, one starts, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And what a great beginning to 11. Now Jesus was praying. We've seen this before, right? This is one of the themes of Luke. Jesus prays all the time. I don't know. if He's God. Why does he pray? He's showing us an example. He's setting us a pattern, a rhythm of life that prayer is an essential part of. And Jesus prayed at every major point of his life in Luke. He prayed at the time of his baptism. He prayed when he chose his disciples. He often was alone praying. Here he's praying again. He prayed with others around. He prayed for Simon. He prayed in the garden before his betrayal. He prayed on the cross. He prayed in the upper room over his disciples. He's praying all the time. And his disciples notice it. I I, I love this about 11. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now, uh, what, what I love is the linkage there because his disciples are watching him pray and watching him pray and watching him pray. And finally, one of them says, this must be important. Jesus is doing it all the time. John did it with his disciples. And so he asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Because he's seen it in Jesus' life. He's seen it as something that's important. They saw the commitment, so they asked how to pray. Something I was challenged with this week is, what will people that watch me ask me to teach them? Have you ever thought about that? What will people that know me well ask me to teach them? If they never ask me to teach them to pray, then that's probably because they're not seeing my commitment to prayer. If, if they're asking me to, to teach them how to do X, that's probably because they're seeing that. His disciples said, teach us to pray, because that's what they saw as an integral part of his life. And what a great principle even for us to, to ask to pray better, to ask Jesus to pray. It's, it's an attitude of dependence, an attitude of sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, what, what follows here is what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And I just need to say, say a couple of quick things. The first is it probably shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer. But I'm, I, I'm probably not going to change 2,000 years of Christian history. Um, this, isn't, this isn't a prayer that Jesus is praying. He's teaching His disciples how to pray. And so this is a prayer He's encouraging them to pray and us to pray, all of His disciples. There are things in here He doesn't have to pray, like forgive us our sins. Jesus didn't sin. And so this is an example prayer for us to follow. Another thing is we we get the fuller version in Matthew, the version you're probably more familiar with, the version that's recited. And, And there's all kinds of debate of is it the same one and Luke just summarized it. Here's the thing. Jesus is giving a pattern of discipleship. He's giving a pattern of prayer. And he probably taught this more than once in the three years he was with his disciples. In fact, if you're teaching someone a pattern, what do you do? You repeat it, right? That's how you ingrain it in our heads. You repeat it. And so this is, I think this is a a different time. The setting's different. And so Matthew, you get a fuller sense and some slight differences. But here's another time where he's teaching the same pattern to pray to his disciples. So this is a little shorter than the one in Matthew. And that's just some some extra things for fun. But, But the other thing I want to remind us of is this is a pattern for prayer, not a magic incantation of prayer. Okay, so it's not not bad if we recite it, it's not bad if we say it, as long as it doesn't become the sense of, if I say these perfect words, God will hear me. And I can let my genie out of the bottle, and he will do what I want. No, no, that's not what this is about. Jesus is giving an example of what elements should be in prayer, what a healthy prayer life should look like, what healthy prayer should look like. And so as we study it, we want to think of them as an example. And how can we, in our prayer, incorporate these into how we pray? One last thing is, is this is often, or, or we can often think of using the Lord's Prayer privately. But one of the things you'll notice is this was intended to be a corporate prayer. Jesus instructs us to pray together publicly here. And if you, if you just notice, look at the words. Um, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, so that... Just ask us to pray. That doesn't necessarily prove anything. And he said to them in verse 2, When you pray, and that you is y'all, when y'all pray, say, and then just look through the prayer. Verse 3, give us this day our daily bread. Look at all the pronouns. This is very important. The pronouns here are all plural, implying that it's a group praying and it's corporate prayer. Give us each day our prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And Jesus is giving an example here of corporate prayer, of praying together. The Matthew passage compares that to the Pharisees in the temple who are praying all about themselves. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't be like them. Go into your prayer closet. And so sometimes we think that prayer has to be only individual. But Jesus is hes countering the Pharisees in the attitude of prayer. And he—he he, in Matthew, he also uses all the plural plural pronouns. He's basically saying, y'all don't be like the Pharisees. When y'all get together, pray together, but don't be like them and don't make a show of it because the Pharisees were making a show outside of the church to everyone, or for them outside of, of Judaism, just to anyone that was there. The power of corporate prayer is huge. It's why we do prayer Sundays. And three times a year, we cancel Sunday school, we come together all ages and we pray together in different rooms. Those are, are so important for body life. They're so important for our spiritual relationship with God. If you're missing those, you're missing out. Not just because some great things happened in those rooms, but because Jesus instructed us to pray together. And so it's a matter of, are we going to follow how Jesus says to have relationship with him? I would argue that those are more important than our Sunday school classes. Sorry, teachers. (laughs) But prayer is that important. So that's just some general things about the Lord's Prayer before we, we dive into it. And what I want to do is is quickly go through the statements. Some of these are familiar, but they give us just some prayer points, some prayer lessons, some ingredients that should be in our prayers. And what you'll notice is the prayer is actually divided into two halves. The first half is all vertical or upward, looking at who God is in relationship with God, elevating God. The second half is horizontal, or our needs and the needs around us. And that's a great model to start with in our prayer. Do we start vertically? With who God is, or do we just jump right into what we want? And, and so many times we jump right in and we forget that prayer is about relationship. It's about so much more. So as we, as we break it down, Jesus said, when you pray, say, in verse 2, and he starts with the word Father. We're just going to stop with the first word. Because that is an amazing word. Jesus is saying that you and I as disciples can address God Almighty as Father. This is a statement of relationship. It's a statement of closeness. It's a statement of dependence on him. It's interesting because Jesus is doing something new here. There are only 14 times in the Old Testament where God is addressed as father. Never by an individual. This is the first time that Jesus says an individual can call God the father, father. And it, it's the Greek word pater, but it's tied to Aramaic Abba, which we've talked about, and Jesus probably used Abba. It's, it's this close relationship. And, and so Jesus is saying, you can come to the Father with relationship. And so we start with the address. Our address should be one of connecting with God relationally, not some distant being, but Daddy, Dad. You know, when my kids, when I come home and my kids come up and give me a hug and they call me Dad or Dada or Daddy... And it does something to my heart. It, it, they can almost ask for whatever they want at that point. but it's <laughs> not, not why we do it with God. But because it refers to relationship. No one else on this planet except my three kids can call me that. It is a sign of a special bond there. Same with, with God and us. We can come to Him and we can say, Dad, Father, I come to you in prayer. And it's that personal relationship. The only reason we can... Is because Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and, he, and God adopted us into His family as sons and daughters. We are a family with God because of the gospel, because of Jesus' work on the cross. And so this, this only is something that people that have turned to Christ and repented and given their lives to Christ can do. This is, this is one of the perks of the gospel. We get a Heavenly Father and it's amazing. Another thing that this, this address does, it, affers, it, it affirms a sense of, of family. It, it, and, and really, think corporately of this prayer. If we're all saying Father, we're affirming that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're family. And so right from the start, we get our orientation upward to who God is, and we get our orientation to each other right, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. The lesson out of this one is connect with God relationally. Connect with God relationally. Don't let your prayers be sterile. You're talking to Dad. You're talking to our Heavenly Father. Be intimate. Be close. The first phrase there is, hallowed be your name. And it literally means make holy your name. Lord, may your name be holy. Make it holy. Make it be reverenced. Make it be respected. And if you remember from our study on the names of God, you see some of them on the wall. The name represented the whole person, the character of God. And so in this case, Jesus is saying, uh, pray that God's reputation, His character would be reverenced, would be made holy in the eyes of all around. It's a request that God would be honored, treated with reverence. I think even how we use God's name and how we throw it around in OMG or whatever, you know, we're, we're not reverencing God's name. And so between the address Father and hallowed be your name, we get the idea of relationship and reverence together. And so he is God Almighty, but he's also Father. And, and those two have to be held in, in sometimes what, what feels like a discontinuity, but they're both true. And so we reverence God. We come to him. We come under him. In our prayer, in our prayer life, we need to make sure we're including elements of reverence and worship reverence. And worship. worship is a great summary of this one. To make him holy, to make his name holy, to make his reputation holy. That's worship. It's adoration. And so one of the great ways to start prayer, and I'm hoping to give you just some tools and ingredients for prayer, to start prayer with just some statements adoring God and and making his name holy of who he is, of honoring him for who he is, that is a great way to start prayer. It also, again, orients us upward. And and so when you pray this week, consciously try to start by, by, by praising God. Even when you pray for meals. You know, I guess you could say, God is great, the food's on the table, let's eat, or whatever that one is. And that does start with God is great. <laughs> Be more genuine than that in prayer. But start in every prayer with how can we reverence God? How can we elevate Him in His name? The next phrase is, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And it's looking forward to God's reign. And when, when Jesus is talking about kingdom in the Gospels, he's really talking about two aspects. He's talking about what, what his kingdom has broken through now with, with, with the coming of Christ through his followers. And, and in the future, he's going to come back and set up his kingdom. in finality. sin will be judged. And God's will will be perfectly executed here on earth. But the the, the now part, we're part of God's kingdom because God reigns in our hearts. A kingdom of a king is anywhere where he reigns. And so right now, it's it's not on the world stage, it's in the hearts of believers. But what this represents is looking up and saying, Your kingdom come. Matthew says, Your will be done, and that's implied in your kingdom come. But it's the idea of saying, I submit to you, I come under your reign. And may your reign spread. May your agenda spread. May your kingdom be what rules this earth. This is a statement of priorities. In Matthew 6:33, Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom of God." And, and this is why it's in the prayer. We're, we're putting a priority on God's reign in our hearts and God's reign around us. You know, if I, I just had to put it in terms of how do I put this into prayer, pray His agenda. Pray his agenda as a priority over ours. So many times we come to prayer with our agenda, right? And and I'm not saying, God wants us to to give our requests to him. And and we're going to see that in the the rest of the section. But first, we need to make sure we're praying his agenda. some of the practical ways to do that is to pray for your neighbor that doesn't know Christ to come to Christ. That's God's agenda. He wants his kingdom to spread into their heart. Pray for our missionaries. That's God's agenda. Pray that God's will be done here on earth. Put His agenda as a priority over ours. And so these first two are vertical, upward focused. Then the next three are horizontal focused. When we get this right, then we can start praying for needs around us. And the next one is give us each day our daily bread. And this is praying for God to meet our daily needs. Do you know God cares about your daily needs? He cares whether or not you have enough money to pay bills next week. He cares whether or not you have a job. He cares whether or not those needs are met. And so he says, Pray about it. And Jesus is saying, This is where he says, Come to me with your needs. Give us each day our daily bread. And in their culture, they didn't have preservatives. They didn't go to Ralph's and get a loaf of bread. They made bread every day. And so daily bread was a very real thing to them. Do I have enough to make bread tomorrow? Do I have enough? And, and they usually got paid on a daily basis for work too. And so it was really day-to-day. And they had to trust God for day-to-day needs. Now, now keep in mind that Jesus is saying we're asking for bread here, not filet yon steak followed by cheesecake. Now now yon and cheesecake are, are great. I'm there. But God here is meeting daily needs. Not all of our wishes. He's not Santa Claus, you know, doing whatever we want. He said, I'll meet your needs. I'll take care of you. The word forgive us each day, give, is a continuous um, tense. Keep giving. Keep giving us each day what we need. And so this speaks to a dependence on God a dependence on God for what's coming, what we need, what we need tomorrow. And we need to come to prayer with an attitude of dependence. An attitude that says, Lord, here's some of my requests, but I depend on You and I trust You. And I will follow Your way. We need to reflect that dependence on God in our prayer. Reflect the need for God in our prayer. Lord, I need You. Every hour I need You. And that needs to be part of our wording in our prayers. The next phrase there, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And, And again... This actually, I think, is a pretty, pretty scary one, because it's tying God's forgiveness to us with our forgiveness to others, and it's basically praying, Lord God, forgive me as I've forgiven other people. Man, that, that's hard to pray if you're if you're holding bitterness and an unforgiving spirit. Forgive me as I've forgiven other people. But th- there's a couple of aspects of this. The first part where, of God's forgiveness for us, again, that's an ongoing word. Keep forgiving us. And so this isn't dealing with salvation alone. It is dealing with the ongoing aspects of walking with God. It's dealing with when I sin tomorrow, I need to go to God and confess it tomorrow. When I sin Tuesday, I need to go to God and confess it Tuesday. When I have an attitude issue, I need to go to God and confess it. We sin in all kinds of different ways. And the continuous nature of this is we need to be continually confessing. And the beauty of it is God continually forgives When we come to him and confess and repent, he forgives and he forgives and he forgives. But this ties then our response is to forgive others. It ties those together. If I realize that God has forgiven me, then I need to forgive others. I need to forgive what they're indebted to me. And it's speaking of sin there, not finances, but the debt of sin. If we've if we are struggling to forgive here on earth in this way, and we'll talk about this more Thursday night with with the youth and parents that are here, but if we're struggling to forgive this way, then we are struggling to realize God has forgiven us and the depth of the cross. You can't separate the two. I have a couple quotes from Charles Spurgeon. He talked about forgiveness a lot. And one of them says, he said, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Let me repeat that. Unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Because this phrase can be either a blessing or a curse. Forgive us our sins for or as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And Spurgeon warns that could be a curse if you're an unforgiving person. He goes on to say, Let us go to Calvary to learn how we may be forgiven, and then let us linger there to learn how to forgive. Let us go to Calvary to learn how we've been forgiven and then let us linger there to learn how to forgive. If we're struggling to forgive, we need to start with praying about it and giving it to God in prayer and saying, Lord, help me to forgive. But we need to realize just what God has done for us. The prayer lesson there, the ingredient is include confession to keep your heart right with God and others. Include confession to keep your heart right with God and others. The last phrase that Luke lists here that, that Jesus shared was, and lead us not into temptation. And lead us not into temptation. Now we know from James that God doesn't tempt us. In James 1.13 it says that no one say when he is tempted, I am te- being tempted by God. And so we have to figure out what this means. But if you think about it, of the, the, the word lead is don't even let me go down the path toward temptation. And most temptation is stopped before the temptation happens, by what paths we choose, by what, what choices we make. And, and so it's, it's asking God for spiritual prote- protection, spiritual battle. Saying, Lord, don't even let me go to where I'm tempted. Protect me from that. Lead me in other ways. See, we make choices sometimes that lead to temptation, where we're not listening to God. An example of this, and it's not a temptation example, but of choices leading to something bad... Yesterday, um, I'm, I'm working on my sermon, and Susie and the kids come running to me, and they're like, there are termites all over in the house. They, and they're swarming. I don't, usually that's, that's more fall, but they're swarming. And so in the family room, they, they look like giant ants with wings on them. I don't know if you've seen them swarming, and they're all over, and they're crawling all over the ground, and Susie's cleaning them up. My kids might have been a little more scared of them. Um, and we're, we're trying to figure out where they're coming from because you really don't want the roof to fall on you and little things like that. But um, we finally found that we had brought in wood for the fire and we had a stack of wood and one of the logs was completely eaten away by termites and they had decided that yesterday was a great way to fly away and be free. And and so th- we took the log outside, it was covered with them and, and then cleaned them up inside and no more came out. But what, a, what an interesting illustration of when you bring something into your life that is tempting or causes you to sin. And, and we bring these things in and sometimes we say, oh, it's not going to be a problem. I can resist sin. And, and we have brought the temptation into our lives and, and gone down a path that is going to make it harder to stay from sin. You know, for us, we can just put the log back outside, out of our way, great. But in temptation, in our daily lives, this is a prayer to say, God, don't even let me bring the log in the house. Don't even let me bring that element in my life that is going to cause temptation, that is going to cause sin. And so when we pray, are we praying engaging in spiritual battle? Do we even think about spiritual battle as we pray or is it just on our physical needs? We need to pray at a spiritual level. Corporate prayer, the disciples' prayer, is an element of... of of relationship with God. Make sure, point number two, make sure God-centered, dependent prayer is a consistent part of life, especially corporate prayer. Make God-centered, dependent prayer a consistent part of life, especially corporate prayer. We're going to fly through the last two points in eight minutes. Jesus goes on to give some more teaching about prayer. And so these give us some more insight into how to pray And point number three in your notes is be persistent in prayer because our gracious God answers. Be persistent in prayer because our gracious God answers. And Jesus gives a couple of illustrations here that that will help us understand this. In verse 5, And he said to them, Which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And so get the picture here. And sometimes people would travel at night to avoid the heat in, in some of the regions here, especially down in, in southern Israel. It's just hot. And, and so someone is traveling at night, comes in at midnight. Remember the expectation of hospitality. The person has nothing for him or maybe some half-eaten loaves or something. And so he knows, and everyone in a small town knows who, who baked bread and who has bread left. He goes to his other friend and says, I need some food. I need some loaves of bread So I can be a good host. So we all can be a good host as a town. The problem is it's late. it's Past midnight. And and by this time, maybe one in the morning. I know some of you are up, but in this case, they're probably not. Because of the answer in verse 7. And he will answer from within, Don't bother me. Go away. I'm sleeping. Okay, I added a few things there. Do not bother me. The door's shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't give you up and give you anything. Keep in mind, they, the, the houses were much smaller, probably one room. And so they're probably all sleeping on an elevated platform on the end, the whole family. And so to get up and to prepare some bread in the one-room house probably means waking up the whole family. And there's kids here, and, and it, it's just, what a bother. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, so friendship isn't what's going to motivate him, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Some translations say because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And that word for persistence is interesting because it it really means sort of shamelessly asking, boldness, persistently and so the guy eventually is going to get up, get up and give bread because the, his friend keeps knocking. He's going to wake up the kids anyway. And so finally that persistence, he's like, fine, fine, have some bread, throws it at the door at him, hits him in the head and, and goes back to, to, to sleep. I don't know. That, that's what I would do. I wouldn't be feeling it. But, but that's, that's the sense is that this is reluctantly given. And what Jesus is doing is... He's setting up a comparison, and we're going to see it in the verses to come, between a neighbor that's tired and grouchy and between a heavenly father that has what we need and loves us. And his point is, if we go with persistence and boldness to our neighbor and he finally gives in, how much more will our heavenly father who loves us and cares for us answer prayer? Oh, we need to be persistent and bold in prayer because our gracious God is answers. He cares. Hey, Jesus goes on in 9 and 10, and I think these verses should be with that, that paragraph. I know some translations separate paragraphs here, but it, it's a continuation. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And there's an increasing level of persistence there, right? Asking and then seeking, going out and doing it, and then knocking and, and not, letting, not letting the issue die. Knock, and it will be given to you, open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And what Jesus here is he's painting a, a, a portrait of persistence, continuing to go to God in prayer. Now he's not saying, and, and don't, we, we compare Scripture with Scripture, he's not saying that you're going to get everything you want by doing this. This isn't, again, a magic formula to get everything on my Sears wish list for those of you that remember those. I just totally dated myself. No one under 40 even knows what the wish book was. But um, (laughs) that's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying God will hear and he will answer. And because he is a good and gracious God, his answer will be what is good and best for us, even if it's not the answer we asked for. Understand this. This is important. We go to God in prayer. We're to go boldly and share our requests exactly as they're on our hearts, but understand God will answer according to His will and He will answer what's best for you. And there's times your kids ask you things that you're like, no, you'll die if I let you do that. I have boys. And and there's times that you say, no, no, let's do something different and, and you redirect. And God does that lovingly and graciously with us. But we can go to Him boldly knowing He hears and knowing He's able and knowing He will redirect to what's best for us. When when we get a no answer, sometimes we get all discouraged. Oh, God said no, or that's not working out like I planned. And, and, And it's God being loving and gracious. That changes how we view no answers. To realize God has something better. We know that He hears us. Last point there. It's it's, it's a similar point, but this gives us confidence in prayer. It motivates us to pray. In point number four, pray knowing that we have a generous good father who gives perfect and right answers. Pray knowing we have a generous good father who gives perfect and right answers. Jesus gives a second example here, and it's his motivation to really understand this point about prayer and God answering prayer according to his will, and it's better. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Yeah, yeah. What, that's messed up, as my, as my kids would say. <laughs> he wants food. He wants a fish. So I'm going to give him a poisonous animal that's going to hurt him. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil, and, and catch he's arguing from the lesser to the greater here, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And Jesus' final point on prayer and relationship with God is come to me boldly, but know, know that your Heavenly Father is gracious and good and gives perfect and right answers. Because if we as human beings know what that means as as to our children, think of what our Heavenly Father will do for us. And He gives the best gift possible, that of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to indwell us, to walk with us, to live life with us, to teach us. Two different things really in the text today. Time with God and prayer, communication. Quality time and communication. Are we going to carve out time for these things? Carve out time just to be with God, to, to worship, to hear His Word, to carve out time... To pray. Think about these ingredients of prayer this week and do, do, do our prayers incorporate all of those? And let's really work on relationship with God. Again, relationship principles aren't anything new. We know about living with each other and building relationship, but God the Father wants relationship with you. And so let's pursue Him and, and, and come to Him and respond. Let's pray. Lord God, We are a busy people and we confess that that busyness has sometimes gotten in the way of relationship. Lord, help us to carve out some time just to be your sons and daughters, just to be with you. Lord, I know I love spending time with my kids and just, just sitting next to them and being with them. And you love spending time with your children. Lord, help us not to walk away from that. Help us not to walk away from those outreached arms to us, but to come in and say, I'm going to spend some time this week worshiping in, in the Word. And I'm going to spend some time in prayer, quality prayer, Lord, that, that puts you first and elevates you and then worries about our needs here on earth. Lord, help us to be a growing people, a discipling people, a people walking with you. In Jesus' name.